Hold up. What was that? Boring. No flavor. That was as bad as those leftovers you ate all week. Kiki Palmer here. And it's time to say hello to something fresh and guilt free. Hello, Fresh. Jazz up dinner with pecan, crusted chicken, or garlic, butter, shrimp, scampi. Now that's music to my mouth. Hello, Fresh. Let's get this dinner party started. Discover all the delicious possibilities at HelloFresh.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. Stay ahead of all the big games in the best league in the world, the Premier League. With the latest odds, form guides, expert opinions and more, the fans are the players at Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18plusbegambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Hello and welcome to the Premier League preview show for game week 19 of the 17-18 season. I'm Tom Rennie and coming up on the show, Swansea City bottom of the Premier League, where they've been for so much of this season. However, they've sacked their manager, so it's all going to be all right. It worked out great when Gary Monk went. Worked out great when Bob Bradley went. Worked out great when Francesco Guidolin, you see where I'm going with this, Leon Britton in charge this weekend for a must win against Crystal Palace. We'll look ahead to that, plus a full programme of games on Friday and Saturday. The festive period is underway. Let's get previewing. We are really making those players, and they are making us journalists earn our turkey this year. Let's start with Swansea up against Palace. No manager in charge. Launched up the line, and that's the last action of the game. In which Everton haven't been particularly convincing, but they've been plenty good enough to beat this Swansea side. A sixth successive away defeat for Swansea. Three months without a point outside South Wales. I'm going to keep fighting, I'm going to keep working hard. I worked very hard to get to this position and I'm not just going to give up easy on it. Breaking news, which has just broken in the last few minutes, that Swansea City have sacked Paul Clement. So the third year running that Swansea City have sacked their manager in December. In 2015, Gary Monk. 2016, Bob Bradley. 2017, Paul Clement has now gone. Now, we are recording the programme ahead of the weekend. The club, it seems, are trying to make an appointment before the Crystal Palace game on Saturday. But as we record, there is currently no manager in charge of Swansea City. That may develop. Uh, We are joined by our former Swansea Hull City and Wolves defender to talk about this story in Sam Ricketts. Sam, how are you, mate? You all right? I'm very well, thank you. How are you? I'm doing all right, mate. Listen, I I can't quite understand why the owners of this club, they've got new American investment in the last couple of years. Hugh Jenkins, still the chairman. I can't understand why they think that Paul Clement is the issue here. Surely the issue is the fact that they've tried to go into a season replacing Gilfie Sigurdsson with Roque Mesa and Renato Sanchez. They've tried to replace Fernando Llorente's goals, and he was the only person scoring, with Tammy Abraham, a low knee, essentially a championship player, and Wilfred Bonney, who gave up on life about 18 months ago. How is this Paul Clement's fault? It- to be honest with you, you've probably summed it up as well as what anyone has done. This has been coming now for two and a half years, and I've said it at the time, and I've said it every time since. They sat Gary Monk 
after what had been their best ever Premier League season. I know Gary wanted to reinforce the squad that summer. He could see what was happening. He didn't get the backing which he requested. They replaced him with Gwydalin. Just about, just about managed to stay up. Last year was staying again. Obviously, Gwydalin, then Bob Bradley, um, then Paul Clement came in and just, um, just kept them up again. And this year, it's going to be the same story again because, like you said, for two and a half years, they've not invested in the squad. This year, they started spending a little bit of money, but they haven't recruited well enough. Ultimately, the players they've recruited aren't good enough to be um, to keep Swansea in the Premier League. That's the way it is. So, Leon Britton's going to be in caretaker charge uh, for this weekend, unless something extraordinary happens in the next couple of days from the time we record the show. Would you like to see him in charge moving forward? Do you think that this seems and screams of the fact, again, they haven't got any sort of plan for when they sack their manager? Uh, what I would say is Swansea are uh, clever in the way they appoint managers. They appoint managers who uh, the fans generally buy in with straight away. So it's the same with Roberto Martinez, Gary Monk, and now Leon Britton. So straight away, the fans will be behind Leon. And obviously, Cameron Toshak will take, um, will take control with Leon. I think it's a real tough ask. I look back to when Gary took over, Gary Monk, similar situation, um, player, went straight in as, as caretaker, kept them up. But he had the likes of Ashley Williams at centre-back. He had mm. Wilfred Boney up front. Um, he had some really, really good players and, and basically got Swansea back to play in the way that they um, that he knew they could do. They'd gone away a little bit. But at the minute, you're taking over a team and you summed it up already that Wilfred Boney isn't the same Wilfred Boney as he was before he went to Man City. You've got Tammy Abraham, who's an awful lot expected on such a young player who's making his inaugural season in the Premier League. It's a big, big ask. I know Leon, I know well, I've done all my coaching badges with him. Obviously, played with him as well. So, um, it's a big ask for him. Listen, I, I wish him all the best and, and really hope he can do it. But it is a tough, tough job, I have to say. It is a very, very tough job, very tough situation for him. At least he will have the fans on side, as you said. But you did mention there, Sam, that Swansea are good at appointing managers. And I, I would agree with you to a certain extent. But at some point along the line, it went wrong. Mm. And I think when they changed from Monk to Francesco Guidolin and then Bob Bradley and now Paul Clement as well, they have lost the Swansea sort of identity that they cultivated over a number of years. For years, there was a lot to be admired about Swansea. They changed managers, but it didn't affect them. They was brought a new one in who fit the style. The players worked for him. They had good footballing players who could play the ball on the ground and you knew what Swansea were about. But now, unfortunately, for some reason, they've become another club that just chops and changes. And who's the favourite to take over with the bookies? Tony Pulis. Couldn't be more further away, though he might do a good job and keep them up. He's not what we come to expect from a Swansea manager. So it seems, like you said, Tom and Sam, there, there is no real plan anymore at Swansea. No, I, I tend to agree with you. And maybe the, you know, they've been bought out by the American owners. Maybe that has affected the decision-making as such. Um, but no, tour, so you have a point as well, but... Go back and I'll say it again. It comes down to players. You need hungry players. And Swansea had a core of players which has taken them through the league. Some have been there all the way from League Two. Some joined in League One in the Championship, got the club promoted. And they were the bedrock of the team. And they just hand-picked odd players to have come in and, and improve the squad over the years. But the problem is those players, the core players now, aren't the core players for Swansea anymore. They've all moved on. They're either old um, not playing anymore, such as Leon Britton, all been sold, Ashley Williams, uh, Joe Allen, all these players, and they have, just haven't been replaced. It's real hard when you become a young, um, a young side coming into the Premier League, which is brilliant for the first few years, 
but when you've been in like five, six years like Swansea have been, you're rebuilding a club and Swansea are trying to do it in the same way they always have done through the league, buy, buy cheap but sell high. Mm. And at some point, they're going to have to get that recruitment bit right and go out and sign good players. Sam, I think it's fairly evident the squad isn't good enough and the transfer business has been appalling with the sheer volume that came into the club with the sales of Laurenta and Sigurdsson to replace them with basically no one was always asking for trouble. There's lots of mitigating circumstances. However, are we letting Paul Clement off a little bit here? Was he a bad manager? Has he done a bad job? Because some of the tactics, some of the... I mean, it's not just cautious. It's crazy defensive in some of these games. Harry Kane has had more shots than Swansea have collectively this season. So are we letting him off the hook a little bit because Swansea's general management has been so bad from above? Or has he been a bad manager this season? Did he need replacing? I think you're probably right. It's not, it's not just the, the players' fault. It's not just the manager's fault. I've seen Swansea play and I've seen them and I've... And I've watched them play, and I think all the players are in second gear. I don't see any players really striving, really busting a gut, giving every ounce of effort. Now, maybe that's the way they've been set out to play. Um, I understand that. Could Paul Clement, if he had better players, be a really, really good manager? Possibly. I know the, the players really liked him. They really liked his training sessions. Life likened him very much to Brendan Rodgers, who was obviously hugely successful there and, and has gone on to be successful at other clubs. So I think he's certainly a very, very good coach. But is he a top manager? I'm not sure. Obviously, Derby and now Swansea, um, two clubs where it's not quite worked out for him. So, yes, he has to respect, um, sorry, accept a certain amount of responsibility for this. Obviously, he's the one who's been, I'm not saying he's signed all the players or how much influence he's had on that, but he's certainly had an input. He picks a team, he picks a tactic. And there's no excuse, really, for your team not having shots. Mm. At the end of the day, it's an entertainment sport. I know you want to control games and everything, but... You need to score. If you don't shoot, you don't score. Well, we know Renato Sanchez was, was almost completely uh, Clement's doing. And, and that pass against Chelsea almost sums up the entire season. And he couldn't even hide how annoyed he was with it. Um, listen, just one quick question as well on the game this weekend against Crystal Palace. Uh, I mean, it's around about the worst team outside the top six you want to face right now if you're Swansea City. Uh, are Swans fans, are Swans people fearful of this game and indeed what the season could hold from here? Um, I think they will be. I think it, it's ironic that Paul Clement's first game will be he sat in the stands was against Crystal Palace last year, uh, which Swansea won, and it really pushed them on to survival for last season. And, it, and it's turned around again that this is going to be exactly the same again. A really important game, but like I said at the start, like we said, they've appointed Leon Britton. So now if you walk into that stadium on Saturday, I'm actually at the game. All the fans are going to be right behind the team. I expect there to be a really good atmosphere. Um, and maybe they've done that knowing that this is such an important game at the weekend. Are they staying up? Swansea going to make it? Listen, my heart says yes. My head at the minute is saying they've got an awful lot of work to do. First of all, appoint a manager, and then um, with January coming, they need to invest heavily in terms of quality players, not just money, but quality Mm. players. Going to be tough for Swansea from this point. Crystal Palace this weekend. We'll get the Eagles' perspective in a few moments' time. Sam Ricketts, former Swansea defender, thank you so much for your time. The only thing I would say on that... Go on. You obviously asked the question, are they going to stay up? Just look at Crystal Palace. Yeah. A few weeks ago, we were saying, can they possibly stay up if they've lost the first seven games, not scored a goal? However, takes seven a few games in, eight games in, 12 games in. I mean, when you go through the Christmas period, we're going to come out of it in, what, game week 24? They need one win. One win and everything changes. Will it be against Crystal Palace this weekend? We'll find out. Thanks to Sam. Uh, more to come on this game in a few moments' time. It's the Premier League Preview Show.
You're listening to the Premier League preview show for the final set of fixtures before Christmas and the first set of a really busy few days for Premier League teams. Now, we've spoken about the Swansea perspective of their game against Crystal Palace, but what of the Eagles? What form they have been in recent weeks? Who'd have thought that a team bottom of the league with no points in seven games would all of a sudden be out of the bottom three before we've unwrapped our Christmas gifts. Well, that is the situation right now for Palace, who go to Swansea this weekend. I'm joined on the programme by a man who I would say works too much. It is the former West Ham, Leicester, Southampton and Feyenoord striker to name but for David Conley. How are you, mate? You all right? I'm very good, you? I'm doing all right, mate. I'm doing all right. Not as good, though. Uh, as Crystal Palace, uh, incredible last week against Leicester, a really good victory for them going into that game that had no goals away from home and won it convincingly. Um, is Roy Hodgson rubbing his hands together the fact that he's got Swansea this weekend? That's who you want to play, right? Well, I feel that like this has come at the absolute best time for them. Um, obviously, the sacking of Paul Clement, but Palace are in a very good run of form. Look, don't get me wrong, I was at the Watford game and they were poor mm. and they were losing 1 0 until Cleverly got sent off. And they're two late goals. But what they do have, I guess, is they have match winners in their side. And a lot of teams don't. Um, are they getting the best out of Benteke? Look, I know he's probably going to be absent for this game, isn't he? I believe he's mm. banned. Or So, at the minute, I feel they're not getting the best out of him because they don't play with natural width. So, they have Townsend on the right and Zaha on the left. I just feel, look, if they're going to play over number nine, they need a bit of width. But take nothing away. They're on a terrific run, um, and I'm sure I'm sure they'll pick up another three points here. What do you make of Benteke scoring that goal last week and then putting his fingers in his ears like one header in December is the end of all criticism for Christian Benteke? Um, well, look, I, I, I can see as a frontman his frustrations, and you can he was visible mm. in the Watford game. And actually, uh, things that are sort of held against him in terms of his hold-up play was actually really good. It was just he never got a ball in the box. And uh, so little deliveries coming in from out wide because whenever they receive it wide, Townsend, you know, he wants to cut inside and gets his shots off. And so does Zaha. So are they the type of players that suit... Um, Christian Benteke, no, I feel they, they, he needs natural width. But saying that, if Townsend wants to play on one wing and Zaha on the other wing, I don't think Roy Hodgson's going to change that. So at the minute, he's getting the best out of the wide men, but not, not the central striker. And what of Wilfred Zaha? In, seven, in 2017, Palace's win ratio with Zaha is 40%. In the eight games he's not played, it's obviously 0%. They've won nothing when he has not been there. Um, there's already talk about him moving away in January because bigger clubs are looking at someone who can win a game on his own. Um, how are they going to be able to keep hold of and keep happy Wilfred Zaha? Well, how to keep? Well, that's. Uh, um, I don't know if anyone can keep Wilfred Zaha happy. You know, like it didn't work out for him at United. He's he's back at Palace. I have to say he was very petulant in the Watford game and. He needs to mature and just grow up a little bit. And I'm not too sure that's going to happen in London at Palace. Look, it didn't quite work out at United. He is a match winner on his day. But he does carry a lot of baggage. And I feel probably Roy seems to be the right man maybe to get something out of him, put his arm around him. You know, that older, more calming influence. Mm. And And I'm sure he will get something out of him. You know, at the end of the day, would he want to keep him in terms of he does bring to the club, but also the baggage he carries... I reckon if they got a decent fee, they might look at selling him and then reinvesting. That's that's me personally. But look, you can't get away. Talented player, but you know he is. He's very up and down, and he's very emotional. If you sell him in January, you're utterly insane. If you're Crystal Palace, well, I don't. I don't think that'll happen. But I mean, you know, maybe at the end of the season, then look from there. Uh, let's go to Man City, Bournemouth, a three o'clock UK time kickoff on Saturday. Um, 
Manchester City, I watched their game against Spurs last week, and in the end they won convincingly, though I don't think it was a convincing performance again. Um, and I refuse to believe, I refuse to believe that the greatest team the Premier League has ever produced, a team that are going to go all season unbeaten and win all the trophies available, I refuse to believe that's a back four that includes Mangala, Otamendi, Fabian Delph, and whoever else they can rustle up. Like, the back four... Compare that to the Invincibles back four with Sol Campbell, Martin Keown and Ashley Cole and, and Lehman behind them. Like, why has no Premier League team been able to score enough goals to win a game against a back four that poor? I, I don't get it. Well, look, I, I feel that this goes back to, I, I feel, his philosophy, which is to keep the ball. So they defend less because they and they don't have to face as many shots and their defence doesn't have to come under as much pressure because, you know, they're keeping the ball uh, as much as they are, what, 70% roughly. So, you know, you put that together, his defence isn't really facing as much as they could do. Now, look, when they played a back three early in the season against Liverpool, although they smashed Liverpool, prior to the red card, Liverpool looked really dangerous attacking them out wide. And I feel that is a possible weakness when they play against better teams. And I'm sure if Liverpool kept 11 on the pitch, they would have really tested uh, City. As it turns out, look, it went their way. They got the red card and they steamrolled Liverpool. But on another day, I look at that Liverpool squad and I think they'd give City a good game. Saying that, it goes back to his philosophy. Keeping the ball, he's not parking the bus. He's mm. not Jose Mourinho. He doesn't invite pressure. He tries to relieve that pressure by playing on the front foot and playing in the opposition's half. So far, I would say lucky. Um, on, I'm not even joking on that. Uh, the last English manager to win at the Etihad Stadium, who was it? Eddie Howell goes there this weekend. It wasn't him. I'll tell you, it's a short show. It's Harry Redknapp in 2010, the last time an English manager won there. Any chance for Eddie Howe this weekend? Um, well, look, they were they were in the game against Chelsea last night. You know, they, they had suffered an injury to Jermaine Defoe early on and it really put them off their rhythm. They got back into the game, you know, and they, they were playing against a much-changed Chelsea team. Look, have they got much chance away from home? Bournemouth got off to the, the worst start. You know, they just about scraped the win against Stoke to, to stop it being the worst start in their history. Um, they have struggled for goals. They've struggled with injuries. Um, is, is their time in the Premier League over? I'm not so sure. I think Eddie Howe's a terrific, terrific manager, but I think he's really up against it this season. I can't see them getting anything from this game, and, and I fear for them for the rest of the season. Uh, let's move on to Stoke against West Bromwich Albion, a game that we used to call the Tony Pulis derby, but no more. Stoke City, uh, awful against West Ham last week. Dive for a penalty, which, which really broke the game up, absolutely. But it was a terrible second-half performance at 1-0 down at home against relegation rivals. Uh, their home form ha- has been dreadful as well. Just one win from their last eight Premier League games, home and away. Uh, Paul Clement sacked, but Mark Hughes remains. There were some real audible Hughes-out chance at the end of the West Ham game. Should he have gone? Well, look, I think Coates has come out and said they will reinvest in January. So uh, he's going to get back in. And I feel that the Coates family, how they've gone about their business at Stoke, is in a very dignified manner. Um, they haven't chopped and changed. You look at Swansea, and they've had, what, three managers added with caretakers uh, over two years. It's around six. So contrast that with Stoke, who are a sort of uh, model of composure and calmness. I'm sure they won't pull the trigger on Mark Hughes in, unless they really, really feel they've gone so far down the road that, you know, it's irretrievable. And I don't think it's at that stage, but I don't feel they suit playing three at the back and I don't think his signings have worked. Mm. And this is a big game for both sides because West Brom, you know, this is their eighth season Premier League. 
is that an end? You'd have to look and think they're struggling at both ends of the pitch. Good job they kept hold of Johnny Evans. If they go down, they won't. And I think Alan Pardew's got his work cut out there. It's not as easy as I think he anticipated it would be to bring mm. a different style of football and maybe a slight disservice to Tony Pulis there. You can't add that Cavalier style to a Tony Pulis team in a few weeks. It takes a long time and, and basically the entire new squad. Maybe if Nasser Chadley was fit, he might have had some sort of lift off there, but he's asking Solomon Rondon has been up, up front on his own for the best part of three years to all of a sudden be able to play with three or four players around him. Can't see it working for a few weeks now. I think West Brom are going to be in some serious trouble. Look, more games to get through with David Connolly in a few moments' time. We're going to talk about the Amers. They won a game, and we're going to enjoy that fact in a few moments' time. It's the Premier League preview show. You're listening to the Premier League preview show for our final set of fixtures before Christmas. Uh, let's move on to West Ham, shall we? Tom Ray and David Connolly, former Hammers striker, with you. Uh, listen, West Ham actually played pretty well, I thought, uh, against Stoke City. Yeah, the, the decision to award the penalty, controversial. It was a dive. However, I mean, Fabian Delph, Paul Pogba, Wilfred Zahar, they've all died for things in recent weeks and there's been no punishment for it. I don't want to get into a full thing on that, but I find it amazing that that is what has been punished the second um, post-punishment diving offence, Lanzini's, whereas there's about four a week. There was about five last weekend. He's missing this weekend. That's the more important thing for West Ham. Uh, missed the game midweek in the Cup, which I don't think they cared about anyway. But they've got to beat Newcastle because if you're unable to beat one of the worst form teams in the league at home, and home is still a problem for West Ham, they're right back in it again. Well, they are. I just feel they'll go into this in you know, full of confidence. Um, you know, it seems like they've found a bit of a formula, and they had good performances. The performances against City, Chelsea, Arsenal, you know, were vital, and that just shows you the, the confidence that you can get, even, you know, against maybe not the exact result you want but picking up some form of a result and a performance it just breeds that bit of confidence and it gives you hope now obviously to build on that then you need to actually pick up the points when it counts and that's against the teams around you and that'll be Newcastle who look they'll be coming there thinking you know we might have a chance here but you know in the bottom three no winning nine they've lost what four in the last five away from homes you don't need to go over the stats the the club's in a right mess Mm. Uh, they need to sell and this is an opportunity I feel that, that, that David Moyes and West Ham know they have to have to capitalise on. They have to get three points here. And look, you've got to remember, look where Newcastle are now. They had their best Premier League start this season for since 2011-12. And look how they've fallen off. So, you know, no goals, not enough goals in their team. And they've really suffered with no investment and uh, poor signing. So I think Rafa's really up against it. And Moyes will know this is, this is three points here for the taking. I just wonder on the West Ham squad, because in the centre midfield, Mark Noble looks like he's out for this weekend. Kiate uh, is out. So there's a chance they might have Declan Rice in midfield and they've got to try and find another player to play in there from somewhere. And then on the bench for this weekend, they'll have two wingers up front in Arnautovic and Antonio. On the bench, they're going to have Andy Carroll, Javier Hernandez and Diafra Sacco. Who's been putting this squad together over the last three years? They seem to have absolutely no idea who should be playing where, what kind of players they need. Talk about Harry Arter coming in during the January transfer window or at least some, some more combative midfield players. It's incredible to think you could have an £140,000-a-week player on the bench and a teenager in midfield. Well, look, that won't continue, but obviously... When David Moyes has taken over, he would have seen all the games. He would have looked back on all the games. He would have known the history, what has worked. You know, playing two up top with Carol Hernandez hasn't really worked at times. Playing a three up top with Carol as the lone one means they offer no threat in behind. Hernandez out wide doesn't work. So, look, they've looked at all the combinations and, and 
doesn't matter what age you are for, for Declan Rice. Mm. And, and it, at this stage of the season, I don't think David Moyes cares if there's 140 grand a week on the bench. You know, it needs must at the minute. But going forward, um, you know, they're just as culpable, the owners, whether they're, you know, complaining about the signings, uh, whether it's Snodgrass, etc. Look, you don't want to see that. I just think they should keep their counsel and obviously just make sure they get the signings right in January to give them a chance. And uh, But this is a game that they have to win Saturday. Yeah. Uh, Newcastle, bit of trouble. You'd be surprised if they scored. It's whether West Ham are able to score themselves. Let's go to Leicester Man U, shall we? Yeah, I was just going to say, but Newcastle got Man City next. So, yeah. you know, get something. they have to get something. So, you know, it, it'll be a tough game for West Ham, but one that I'm sure they will have to win. Uh, Leicester Man U, if you're listening outside the UK and Ireland, you're going to be able to hear that game with Tom Rennie and David Connolly uh, this coming Saturday. Uh, Leicester in tremendous form under Claude Puel. Then all of a sudden, they get done over by a bottom of the table, ain't scored all season. Chris Palace, um, and I've been so impressed in recent weeks with the form of Wilfred Ndidi. He was awful and got himself sent off. Uh, lost the midweek in the Carabao Cup as well. Um, been a weird old week for Leicester City, isn't it? It has, although. I- wow! Nice. Yeah. What you're hearing are the sounds of people everywhere putting on Bomba socks, underwear, and T-shirts made from absurdly soft materials that feel like plush clouds. Yeah, that plush. And the best part? For every item you purchase, Bombas donates another to someone facing homelessness. Bombas. Big comfort for everyone. Go to bombas.com slash ACAST and use code ACAST for 20% off your first purchase. That's bombas.com slash ACAST. Code ACAST. Quality sleep is essential. That's why the Sleep Number Smart Bed is designed for your ever-evolving sleep needs. Need a bed that's firmer or softer on either side? Helps you sleep at a comfortable temperature? Sleep Number smart beds let you individualize your comfort, so you sleep better together. J.D. Power ranks Sleep Number number one in customer satisfaction with mattresses purchased in-store. And now, save 50% on the Sleep Number limited edition smart bed for a limited time. For J.D. Power 2023 award information, visit jdpower.com awards. Only at a Sleep Number store or sleepnumber.com. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. There's a lot more to those 90 minutes than what goes down on the pitch. With the latest odds, form guides and expert opinions, you'll know the score with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. Are you in? Let's go. Play at ladbrokes.com, 18+, begambleaware.org, T's and C's apply feel they look too much into that result um, you know going to penalties and, and obviously didn't quite work out for them um, they got bigger fish to fry but I, I, I just feel that in, in their in their team they've just got match winners although the Palace result wasn't ideal I feel Powell is he went back to Southampton and beat them comfortably mm. and they looked ever so good great that day great that day and you know whether it's the accumulation of games I, I don't know I, I just feel that they're they're really on form at the minute he's got something out he always gets something out of these Mavericks Maris is really performing for him um, he's, he's got him playing whether it's as a 10 or a 7 or 11 out wide and he's able to bring Okazaki in and rotate around and get the best out of Vardy and, and Gray and Albrighton he's just and then bringing Fuchs in as well as Chilwell he just seems to be able to keep that team happy he's got a calming influence and that calmness it won't just 
go from lurch from you know one thing to another i think that calmness means that those performances will still be calm so they'll come back with a good performance and there, there won't be too much you know ebbing and flowing i feel with leicester with Puel in charge you think just a blip i think just a blip though it could be three losses in a week for claude Puel's side they take on manchester united this weekend at the king power stadium um and you were watching Man U at Bristol City in midweek, a loss in the Carabao Cup quarterfinal to them. Uh, and it was a, a full-strength side, more or less. A couple of players out, but Ibrahimovic played, Lukaku played, Rashford played. Um, you know, very, very strong. I mean, Katarian got a few minutes as well. I didn't even know he was still there. Um, what on earth has gone on with Manchester United? How did they lose that game? And will that have been as big a blow as on paper it seems to be? Because people look at that cup and they're like, oh, they won't care. But that was a lot of first-team talent. Oh, it was. I mean, you know, um, I think it was slightly disrespectful, although tongue-in-cheek after the game when Jose Mourinho said that, you know, Bristol were lucky, definitely weren't lucky. And maybe some of his players didn't fancy that day at the office, which, you know, is incredible. Did you see that? (laughs) Did you see that from watching the game, that some of their players didn't seem like they fancied it? No, I did not see that. And, uh, uh, um, you know, whether that's just the psychology from Mourinho. But, um, you know, they were definitely there for it. It's a game uh, I played uh, in the... We got to the League Cup final at Wigan and played in the semi, won the quarters, played in the semis against Arsenal, got heavily beaten by United in the final. And let me tell you, you win that cup, it gives you... You get to any semi-final, cup final, it gives your club such a boost. It doesn't matter whether it's United or not. Mm. They would have wanted to get to have got to that cup final because they're not going to get to the Champions League final, that's for sure. Moment in the game where Paul Pogba went in, studs up, another challenge. Uh, of course, sent off with a challenge against Hector Bayer in a few weeks ago. He comes back and has done it again. Don't seem like there's going to be any retrospective punishment for it. But again, it leads to something we've spoken about before. They're building the side around an incredibly immature 13-year-old. And that's always going to be an issue, isn't it? Well, it is. It leads me back to what we're talking about with Zaha. Um, I feel they're similar types of characters. I feel Pogba is, is slightly more mature. And, um, 13 and a half. Yes, exactly. So I'd give him that. But, um, you know, he's a, he's, a, he's a huge player for them. And when he's missing, although he wasn't missing last night, but when he has missing, they have missed him. Um, but I, I just feel that, you can't take anything away from that result from from Bristol all performance and you know United will have to bounce back for me United forget this game but just in general in comparison to their city rivals um, in Manchester they've just been absolutely left behind and I feel Mourinho feels really exposed actually at how it's going at the minute and um, it's, it's bringing how he manages and how his team perform it's bringing them into the spotlight uh, let's move on to Southampton up against Huddersfield Town this weekend. It's a three o'clock UK time kickoff on Saturday. Uh, their home form, dreadful uh, in recent times, Southampton. Their form in general, dreadful. Just one win in their last nine Premier League games. Winless in their last five. Last home game was the battering by Leicester City. And, and it could have been any score there. Leicester was so dominant in that game. I just don't see where this big drop-off in performance for, for Southampton has happened. Tell me where it's come from. Well, I, I'm sure it's embarrassing for, for the club when you know, Puel went back there with Leicester and beat them so so convincingly. Uh, I'm just not sure they know how to play Southampton at the minute, whether you know they play the 4-3-3, they tried and tested formation, but then really they lack a bit of pace going in behind. And Austin is a real lone front man. I think he likes to play in a 4-4-2. Uh, they've got so many injuries at the back. The Van Dyke issue at the minute it looks like Soares might be out. Bertrand could be out. Um, you know, Manolo Gabaldini is not getting in the team because he likes to play one forward. Arguably, he might be their best forward. Um, so they've, they have got a few problems. Look, the Van Dyke situation is is not going away, but I feel it has to go away. I'm sure he has to 
make a decision on that and sell him in January and then reinvest and, um, you know, would Luke Shaw return? Who knows? You know, mm. there's, things have got to change at Southampton and um, I can't see it improving any time soon because, for me, they just don't offer enough in the top half of the pitch at the minute. Uh, you're a football Watford man and our producer and co-host David Walker is also a, a Watford fan. Uh, last weekend, Huddersfield thrashed Watford by four goals to one. I don't want to keep bringing this up, guys. I know it's going to bring you down, but, I mean, the footballing gods were really smiling on Huddersfield last weekend. A great performance, plus the first goal, they got two players offside. <laughs> no one has said anything about it. How big can a result like that, a performance like that, things going your way like that, how big can that be in the context of Huddersfield's season, who hadn't even scored a goal barely on the road before that? Well, that's true, although they did beat Man United, which, you know, was incredible. So I'm sure they'll be buoyed. They were buoyed by United. Obviously, that win, that soon dissipates. And as the season goes on, you get sort of worn down slightly. They needed that win over Watford massively. But they are so poor away from home. Losses, West Ham, Swansea, Liverpool, Bournemouth scored none, conceded 11. So it doesn't give you much hope going into this Southampton game. So um, I feel this will be another... Tough one for Huddersfield, but it's one they'll probably go and think, you know, we might be able to stop the rot here. Hmm. Uh, a few more to get through on the programme. What a busy week we have got coming up. Let's get on to Everton against Chelsea in a few moments' time. It's the Premier League Preview Show. You're listening to the Premier League Preview Show for game week 19 of the season. Uh, games on Friday and Saturday going into another set of games on Boxing Day. The best part of the season if you're a football fan. If you're a player or journalist, well, I didn't like my my, my wife anyway. Uh, let's get on to Everton-Chelsea. It's a 12.30 kickoff on Saturday UK time. You're with Tom Rennie uh, and David Connolly at the moment, former West Ham and Southampton striker. Um, do you think that Everton went too quickly to the insurance policy of survival that is Big Sam Allardyce? Well, will they be saying that in a season or two time? You know, I, I, I'm not sure. Did they go too early? Look, they had to, I think they had to change it. It just wasn't working under, under Ronald Koeman. And I think David Unsworth had possibly a little bit too long in charge in terms of as a caretaker. Um, so I think the decision had to be made earlier. Look, they could have brought him in earlier, but, you know, they weren't totally sure on him. As it turns out, they've ended up with... With Big Sam, and you can't argue with his results. The rest of it, as he keeps saying, will come. So, you know, I need to get the, the defence right, the clean sheets right, and then the rest will come. History tells you that that might not necessarily happen, but I feel defensively he will get them sorted, he will get them organised, they will be hard to break down, and they do have some good players who can make the difference. And he's not afraid to, you know, stick to his guns. And he's, hey, he's got a very thick skin, isn't he? So he'll be able to take mm. whatever the press throw at him. It's like water for ducks back. And I'm sure he's a very good man to actually lead a football club. I can't work out Wayne Rooney right now because when I watch him, I see a player diminished from what I remember. But his scoring record is fantastic. It's double figures for the season. Uh, he misses a penalty in the first half of a game, but then has the ability and the confidence to take a penalty later in the game and score it. He's right place, right time against Newcastle when Carl Darlow dropped that ball, and he's there, read it, anticipated, and scores it. And yet he's playing in midfield where he shouldn't be impacting the danger. It's baffling to me. Tell me about Wayne Rooney. Well, look, he's playing as a 10 at the minute, which is, you know, just in behind. And I feel that's a role that, that suits him as long as, you know, they don't expect 
too much in terms of his defensive response responsibility, but obviously they will, which will drag him deeper. But at the minute, he is making the box enough, I feel, because it, they're playing with the two holding midfielders, and it's up to Wayne Rooney to get up and support, whether it's Calvert-Lewin and the likes of Sigurdsson. You know, he's he, at the minute, he's producing for, for Big Sam, but Rooney, I think, is only behind Fabregas and Giggs and Premier League assists, and that's absolutely stunning for a striker mm. he is a striker a 9 or a 10 so to be behind two midfielders or wingers is, is just incredible well a midfielder in Fabregas and a winger in Giggs um, and I just feel he's a, he's a good man manager Sam so he'll be able to get something out of, of Wayne Rooney that others didn't you know they don't need to sort of shunt him to one side he's the type of player that you need to bring into the fold and just get more from in terms of the group and showing that leadership where if you miss a penalty and he's up for taking it again that's that leadership that you expect from these types of players, these top, top players, and Wayne showing that. For Chelsea in the league, they've dropped Alvaro Morata for the last couple of games and played Eden Hazard as a force nine in a front three. Morata suspended for this game for over-celebrating in midweek, a rule that just really makes me grit my teeth. It's unbelievable that you get done for over-celebrating in the last minute of a game, scoring a winning goal. But is that a decent thing for, for Chelsea? Because they get to give, give him a little bit of a rest going into further games. He played in midweek. They also can continue with this three up, up front that has been the favourite formation of Antonio Conte. Is it almost a let-off for the manager because he hasn't got to put Morata back in the Premier League when maybe he might not have wanted to? Um, <clears throat> look, I think Alvaro Morata is a, is a terrific player, but he's a completely different type to Diego Costa. Um, that shambolic situation has finally resolved itself far too late but anyway as we go on you know whether it's him Murata or Batshuayi I don't think either is particularly nailed down that number nine Never going to be Batshuayi is he? Don't fancy him at all. He doesn't. Never going to be him. He played last night and he, he failed to convince but it's very hard obviously to come in for a game and then expect to produce but you know so what are they what are they doing now? They're going with Hazard as a false nine well if they do, I feel it's, you can't then leave Morata on the bench too long. It's mm. just a wrong thing to do when you're, a, when you're a forward. You know then you're not quite fancied. And Morata's the type, to me, he's got that quiet personality that is, you know, he's homely boy. He seems, he seems completely, he seems like actually he takes things to heart and, and personally. And I think that that would affect him. I don't think you're going to get the best out of him if you, if you don't play him and you keep. Seems Eden like a Hazard. nice guy. He He'll never like work a, at Chelsea. He seems like a very... He's he not the home for the nice people, Chelsea. He's not a Your nasty piece of work. Yes, Your Diego Costas yeah. get on great there. Exactly. The kind of people you'd like to have a social evening with, go to the pub with, never going to get on at Chelsea. No. Lampard so, and Costa, yeah, get on great. Exactly. So I, I think <laughs> that's... Um, that's going forward. I think that's going to be an issue for, for Morata. I feel I feel he needs to, he's the type of forward that needs to play regularly. And when he's not, although he did come on and obviously he got the goal, when he's not, I think it it's not going to get the best out of Morata. Definitely not. And look, you know, they finished second in the Champions League group. They've yeah. got Barcelona away, which is extremely tough. So if they get through that, I'll be amazed. Um, and Conte hasn't had a good record against the London team. So this will be a game away from home. I think he'll like. I think you'll like this, Antonio Conte, and uh, away from Stamford Bridge, relieve a little bit of the expectation at home, and I think it's be a good game, but I think it's one that Chelsea might just edge. Normally good, Everton against Chelsea at Goodison. It starts our Saturday, December 23rd coverage. Let's go to Burnley-Tottenham. It's a 5.30 UK time kickoff. Uh, Burnley are 
perhaps in a better position to qualify for next season's Champions League. I always knew Burnley would finish above Spurs. I could always sense it at the start of this season. Uh, Spurs' form has tailed off in recent weeks. Um, Deli Alley, another poor performance against City last week amongst uh, a whole host of poor performances. Eric Dyer was absolutely dreadful uh, in the game. Spurs got to recover from that, but they've got to do something that so few teams have done at Turf Moor, and that's breach Burnley's defence. Though, Tukowski won't be playing after that elbow against Brighton last week. Look, I think Burnley um, did their best bit of business in keeping um, Sean Dyche, obviously. Um, big interest from Everton. They managed to bat that away, and I think Sean Dyche handled it really, really well, and so did the club. And that was, their, I think, their key signing. If they'd have lost him, goodness knows where Burnley would be. As it is, he's building something special. Five years in charge. You know, He's got a new training ground. The, 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 the club are really hard to to beat but they're also able to to rip up trees in terms of their signings and get performances out of, out of players and the likes of Jack Cork who've done they've done tremendous unwanted at other clubs that were able to get something out of them and I just feel that this is a, a game that Tottenham really would be a difficult one for them like mm. you say they're not in the the best of form Wembley woe for me being at that stadium it's a tough season for them Pochettino only plays one way so he'll go to on the front foot. And I'd like to think that that might play into Burnley's hands because they they just expect to try and do their best against them on the counter. So funny watching the City game last week because were Spurs at their best? Absolutely not. And yet on the balance of play, I really think they could have got something from it, certainly on that first 20 minutes. So it'll be interesting to see how they recover from that. Uh, let's go to Brighton against Watford. Uh, Brighton's form at home, I wonder where this is going to get them in trouble, whether this is the reason they won't be in the Premier League next year. Because in every home game, bar the Liverpool game, they've been in it, but they're not winning these home games, continually drawing home games. Uh, Watford this weekend, who have been fantastic away from home this season, are going to be without Decore for the first time, uh, who's played every minute of every game this season, but is suspended for this weekend. Uh, I think this has got to be a game where Brighton have to pick up all three points if they want to be a Premier League team next year. Well, look, they 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 could have, uh, should have is the wrong word, but they could have obviously beat beat Burnley if Murray takes the penalty and, and puts it in the back of the net. So, I think that was a, a real big blow for them. Um, like you say, lost to Spurs and Huddersfield and the big defeat to Liverpool, but um, I don't think that was really a, too much of an upset. They need to get their home from, you know quickly because away from home has also been very difficult for them um, this will be a game I think that they'll fancy because I, I look at the Watford team and, and Deeney's out isn't he so Deeney's out but who will come in uh, Andre Gray who they don't really fancy Watford he's been on the fringes um, as you say Decore has been arguably their best player um, so this is a game I think Brighton will look at and go we've got to pick up three points here um, and I, I think it's one that actually they could do. They could actually do this. And uh, um, I think this is a game Brighton must win. But every single time we underestimate Watford, they go somewhere and get a comfortable win. So predict this one at your peril. Just one final game we haven't mentioned on the programme. We haven't mentioned it because it's the Friday night football this week. And this is a programme that runs all weekend. But it is worth mentioning briefly uh, Arsenal against Liverpool. It is the big game of the weekend uh, in many ways. Uh, Arsenal 13 wins in 14 at home. The loss against Manchester United uh, is the only t- time that they haven't picked up all three points uh, at Emirates Stadium. One in midweek against West Ham in the Carabao Cup as well. And yet, since that Man United game, they've looked half a team. They've looked like they've struggled to create chances. Defensively, they looked disorganised. It almost feels like that game ended Arsenal's season. Uh, and with Liverpool coming this weekend, the Fab Four, terrible nickname, are all in tandem. I think this could be an embarrassment for Arsenal. If you're looking at their defence and asking a back four, and I don't know why they've gone back to four at the back all of a sudden, 
to then face Coutinho and Firmino and Salah at all with Monreal and Koscielny centre-half and Maitland-Niles, who is suddenly he's ahead of Kolasinac at, at full-back for reasons I can't understand. This could be a bit of a mauling for Arsenal, couldn't it? Well, you know, Arsenal, I think, as you say, I don't think they suit a back four. I think he will play a back three, to be honest, and uh, um, I'm sure it will suit them much better. They are up against Liverpool, I feel, arguably, have the best squad in the league. They must do. They're up there with Man City. You look at, even if they, they go with Coutinho, Firmino and Salah on their bench, they'd still have the likes of, or to come in, Sturridge, Solanke, young Brewster, Lalana, Woodburn, Mane. I mean, it's just incredible. You mm. look at that as a squad. I mean, that is just sensational going forward. Obviously, they've got some work to do at the back in terms of progressing as a team, but wow, what a front unit that is. And Oxlade-Chamberlain, who, who made his debut when I was at Southampton, you look at him and you go, you know what, he should have made this move seasons earlier. Mm. Look at him, he's revitalised. He looks like a different player. He looks leaner. To me, he put on a little bit of weight. He looks leaner, he looks fitter, he looks sharper. And they're getting something out of him in a in a, in a a role which still allows him to go forward and affect games. And um, I hope he doesn't come back to to, Aunt, uh, to Horn and Arsene Wenger here. And uh, I think they could be in for... A, a very difficult game because they've just got too much pace, Liverpool, for this Arsenal team. They've got too much pace for most teams, but definitely for this Arsenal team. If you listen to this on Saturday morning, I'm pretty sure we would just prove right. Um, and I wonder whether Jack Wilshere and Olivier Giroud and Theo Walcott might look at Oxlade-Chamberlain playing the best football of his career and go, what am I still doing here? David Connolly, thank you very much indeed for your time on the preview show this week. A key part of our fixture coverage right across the Christmas period. Uh, David Walker, not said much during the last couple of hours. You've been too busy listening to oh, Watford legend ad- David Connolly, haven't you? Ad- admiring him from afar. Because he scored two hat-tricks before your very eyes yes. whilst you were a young lad. When I was a young man, some of the first matches I ever went to. So I thought I'd let you two get on with it. Yeah, because you were too busy teary-eyed reminiscing <laughs> about those wonderful days. Listen, I want to ask you about this because we've oh, got yeah. David Connolly's professional view on it. Yeah. From a fan's perspective, is this too much football? Because I was just going through the fixtures. I'm trying to work out how many shows we've got to do. How many times I need to see you over Christmas. And it is a lot. It's more than my own family. That we have got four game weeks inside two weeks. Yeah. Uh, and not only are they um, four separate games, but you've got games Friday, then Saturday. Then we go through a Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. The next week we're back again on the Saturday and Sunday. Then it's Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday, Thursday. I mean, I love watching football. I watch it all the time. I love watching all the teams. I like watching Huddersfield. I like watching Chelsea. Sometimes I can even stomach the Amers. But at what point do these games start getting awful? At what point do some of these games start having, I don't know, one-legged men playing at right back and you've got a 16-year-old playing in goal for someone? Is that the best thing about it? Or should we maybe get a bit more sensible and have one of them brilliant midweeks that we've just had and have one of them in April when nothing's going on? Have one of them in March when most of our teams be out of the Champions League. Wouldn't you rather have another great set of midweeks at the end of the season than more games on January 4th? No. You wouldn't. There's no, no scenario. You love this. I do love it. You love it's the, one of the, the torture that is the Christmas period. It is one of the best things about being a football fan in this country is that when you shut down for Christmas from work on the 23rd, 24th, whatever it may be, you know you've got loads of football to look forward to on the telly or whether it be going to the stadium on Boxing Day or New Year's Day or New Year's Eve whatever it is like you said there's games on pretty much every day and yeah there are some questions about the fitness of the players but really that's very much a modern day conceit I don't know if the players they used to play Christmas Day then Boxing Day they've all got big enough squads to cope with it 
You get injuries all year round. And, and, and there are maybe some legitimate concerns about the cost of the football for the supporters and the travel. And it's not the easiest to get around at this time of year. And, you know, you've got clubs like, you know, Manchester United are charging a packet for the supporters to go and to go and the mm-hmm. Derby supporters to go and see them in the FA Cup in January and all this sort of stuff. But it's a great thing. We all love Christmas football. We love the, the, the Christmas festive period. And I think people are listening to this show from around the world, particularly like if you're listening, it's, it's a it's a tradition in America to have sporting fixtures right over the Christmas period. Mm. And it's only the Europeans that sort of seem to think it's a very odd thing, like the Germans, you know, France and Spain, they all have winter breaks. But, you know, other places in the world, it's all systems go. I love that the quality of the games go down. That's what I like most about the Christmas period, right? You and I were watching some vintage 80s games in the studio the other week, waiting for something or other, and watching those terrible pitches and players falling over and everyone looking knackered, I feel bad for everyone involved. And I would rather have these Premier League midweeks later in the year. But if you're going to have it now, there's something about, I don't know, someone like Paul Pogba. One week he's doing like 4,000 kick-ups and beating nine people. But it comes to the end of January and he's sort of like, got his hands on his hips. He can't run anymore. I can't do anymore. You've got to take me off. There's something about that. It's an equaliser, isn't it? There's got to be a way that we can make players in the Uddersfield midfield, we can make Jonathan Hogg the same calibre Oh, it's Pogba. How do we do it? We get him knackered. Well, I mean, it, it worked for the Bristol City players in the uh, in the Carabao Cup midweek. Um, and I think by the time you get to the end of the first weekend of January, so the fifth, sixth, seventh, and eighth, that's the FA Cup third round weekend. By that time, as you say, every team will have played four matches in the Premier League. The table, as tight as it is from top six downwards could look dramatically different. A team like Watford could conceivably be right above the relegation zone. Swansea or or Bournemouth or Stoke, teams that are right down at the bottom, they could be 10th or 11th. Will you feel the same about how much you love the Christmas football period when Watford have lost all four and it's seven games without a win well, and West Ham are somehow above you? January the 2nd, yep. we're going to the Etihad. Yep. It's going to be a great day. Lump on. Yeah, six. We'll six be at double home. figures. We'll be over ten to one to beat him. I'm sure, <laughs> and away. it's got to be worth a go. There was a point during the West Ham Man City game. The odds were so long. I was winning nine pound fifty on a one nil win. Uh, that's that's how that's how long West Ham's odds were yeah. to get anything from that game. Nah. I Save your like, Christmas I, I money, like kids. <laughs> um, listen, yeah, we're out of time. We're out of time. Enjoy the festive period. Uh, we're going to be here working for you to deliver all this great quality football. And when West Ham are above Watford by our first shows of 2018, I think we're all going to enjoy the resumption of the, this programme. You looking forward to that, day? Yes. And when we've signed Decore as well. He's looking lovely. He'd love that London stadium. Um, have a good Christmas. We'll see you afterwards. The Premier League All Access podcast is proud to be brought to you by Ladbrokes. The latest odds, we set them. Form guides, we've got them. Expert opinions, we share them. The best fans in the world deserve the best. Be match day ready before the whistle blows with Ladbrokes. Odds update on Talk Sport with Ladbrokes. 
Are you in? Let's go. Play at labrooks.com, 18 plus, be gambleaware.org, T's and C's apply. Ever catch yourself eating the same flavorless dinner three days in a row? Dreaming of something better? Well, HelloFresh is your guilt-free dream come true, baby. It's me, Kiki Palmer. Let's wake up those taste buds with hot, juicy pecan-crusted chicken or garlic-butter shrimp scampi. Mm. Hello Fresh. Stop dreaming of all the delicious possibilities and dig in at HelloFresh.com. Let's get this dinner party started. Mm. 